Hi, welcome to Project Geospatial. I'm Adam Simmons for this week's news, January 13th, 2020. So in this week's news, I'm going to talk about the FAA gets a tons of early feedback from drone ID. So uh, what people are concerned about with this new policy is, their, is the cost and privacy related to integration. So let's kind of back up for a second. Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, so the AOPA, published an article related to drone ID, or remote ID as FAA calls it. And uh, what that is exactly is the FAA proposed that virtually all the unmanned aircraft must be quickly identifiable by other users or law enforcement, which will have access to the pilot's location information as well as the aircraft's location. Uh, and there will be ex exceptions uh, to to that. So if you don't want to participate, the there's going to be these uh, federally approved designated areas called FAA recognized identifiable areas. Uh, and uh, typically, what's going to be uh, uh, grandfathered in those locations is those model aircraft locations uh, uh, where you have radio controlled model aircraft that have designated locations already, they're going to be grandfathered in, and, and typically drone users can participate in those uh, model aircraft clubs and fly there. But aside from that, uh, everybody's got to be tracked and monitored, and that's what they're proposing right now. This has been a proposal. It's not an enacted policy yet. Uh, there's going to be a ramp-up time. So to kind of go back on the publishing of this proposal, the FAA published this on December 31st, a detailed and long-awaited proposal to create a system to track and manage every flight by millions of drones out there, and stakeholders responded swiftly. Uh, so the online document logged more than 100,000 views and 1,000 comments within three days of its publication. Uh, the FAA announced that the remote ID was coming in March 2017, so it's taken uh, just over uh, you know a couple years just to uh, come out with this proposal. Uh, where it applies, it applies to all drones larger than 0.55 pounds or 250 grams to be individually registered and to broadcast their identifying information in order to fly in most locations. Uh, where, where this also applies to is the FAA has made it clear that the remote identification is a prerequisite for a long list of advanced operations being allowed without waivers. Uh, including routine drone flights at night over people and beyond remote pilots' line of sight. Uh, so that sentence is a little bit unclear to me uh, in, in how it was written. However, I, I know from – because I'm a drone hobbyist myself, a recreational drone hobbyist, and I do fly in a highly restricted area. Already I know that you're not supposed to fly at night at all, and you're not supposed to fly over people. And you're especially not supposed to fly outside of the remote pilot's line of sight. And there are some, um, and, and you can get waivers to all these, and that's the advanced operations that they're talking about. So, um, what's fascinating about this is that if we're being tracked, it sounds like the FAA is going to loosen up the uh, restrictions, meaning that you won't have to sign up for these waivers because really the FAA only cares about the accountability. Uh, you know, if something does happen, they are going, they, they want to know who to hold accountable 
Uh, so if your drone falls out of the sky, hits somebody, runs into another aircraft, crashes into something, or it's just in a place that it's not supposed to be, who does that drone belong to and who can we uh, go after for that? That's that's really what they care about. Uh, so, uh, and, and really, if I, you know, and these types of things like flying at night or uh, flying outside of my pilot line of sight is very useful to me as a hobbyist because I have a drone that is capable of doing that. I just don't do that. So uh, I like to fly. I don't really want to fly at night. I don't have a camera for that. Uh, I don't have an infrared camera or anything like that. But flying on the edge at night, for example, um, dawn or dusk would be useful because you can take some pretty awesome photos, uh, for example, with the, the Mavic 2. And uh, I love to be able to do that. It just It's so close to night flying that uh, I get a little bit nervous. I don't want to get in trouble or anything. But even beyond the remote pilot's line of sight, a lot of these drones have some pretty amazing capabilities. Like you can go over about two miles out from the uh, launch location. Actually, even going a, a few hundred meters, sometimes it's hard to keep track of uh, where your drone is. And to be able to actually do that, um, you know, and be allowed to do that would be pretty incredible if I didn't have to apply for waivers. Uh, and beyond that, Tracking the drone overall, if it gets me from having to fill all these individual forms, for example, um, uh, I, I don't necessarily have to ask for permission from a local small airport tower uh, where they were, but you do have to call in and announce where you're flying just to kind of give those pilots or small aircraft pilots a heads up of uh, the tower will notify those pilots of where in the area to kind of stay away from. Um, and, uh, if that kind of shortcuts the process, it's, it's, it's not that, see, I will do stuff like that. It's, it's not, it's not a problem to do it. It is kind of a hassle though. It's a long and lengthy process. To, and to me, I think that if there was a way to just kind of broadcast my location and everybody sees it, I think hopefully it makes, uh, flying the drone a lot easier. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. And I want to read off the uh, comments of all the feedback that's going out there. It sounds like a lot of it's been negative. So we'll, we'll look into that in a future episode. Um, I'm curious to see what everybody else thinks about this. Once again, nothing is going to change soon. The proposal will making calls for various requirements to be phased in over the next three years. And details, including that timing, can still be changed prior to publishing of the final rule. So the, more to come, uh, you know, as, as they try to implement this. They got to talk to vendors, make sure everything, the technology is there to do this. Uh, and the article, as well as the FAA site, goes into... Um, you know, the integration of this technology as it applies to cell towers, the internet accessibility, uh, and how drone operators are required to broadcast their uh, uh, their location information uh, or their identifiable F uh, location information as well. And there is stuff that does that, helps you do that right now. Um, anyway, if you want to find out more about this proposal uh, or the uh, controversy surrounding it, I've posted the AOPA article on the show notes as well as the proposal itself from the FAA. Uh, you can find that link uh, to it as well. The next thing I have for you is a conference that I did not find out until recently, so I didn't announce it in the last week's uh, geospatial news uh, show. 
So this is called North 51. It takes place February 5th through 7th, uh, 2020 in Banff, Alberta. I don't hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Alberta, Alberta, Canada, I'll add. So the website for that is n51.ca. Uh, the theme of this conference is off the map. Location data is being used for value creation. It doesn't look like a map anymore. So uh, how does location information get used in the background? How do you transform it into useful analytics uh, or business analytics? And uh, so this is a seems like a smaller conference just kicking up. I've never heard of it before. Uh, but on the other hand, there's some big players. So I think it's worth mentioning because there's some big guest speakers coming to this uh, event. And uh, so those guest speakers include Ed Parsons, a geospatial technologist from Google, uh, Maggie Colley, OpenStreetMap US Executive Director, Josh Johnston, Forest Fire Research Scientist for Canadian Forest Service. And Ben Tuttle is going to be on a panel. He's a CTO of Arturo.ai. He'll be on the panel for Geospatial Analytics Will Eat the World. So uh, Ben Tuttle is uh, previously in National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And uh, after he moved on, he went on to work for Arturo.ai with a uh, uh, great great set of folks doing some interesting work. Uh, and I believe uh, what they're known for, Arturo is doing uh, a lot of work with insurance companies doing uh, roof analysis, applying artificial intelligence to look for damaged roofs, I believe. And it sounds like an amazing conference. And so I found this conference through Ben Tuttle's uh, tweet. Uh, check it out. I wish we can go to this. This was a little bit too last minute for us. And we'll watch these individuals to see if there's any interesting come out and uh, interesting announcements, et cetera. So next thing I have announcement for is Maxar's Open Data Program, a deadly earthquake rock Puerto Rico in early hours of Tuesday, January 7th, 2020. It was the strongest and most damaging in a series of quakes that started on December 28th, 2019. The 6.4 magnitude earthquake was centered just off of Puerto Rico's southern coast, about six miles south of the town of Indios. So several aftershocks have followed, including a 5.6 magnitude tremor. Uh, so Maxar activated their open data program for the earthquakes in Puerto Rico. With the open data program, Maxar is releasing imagery data over the affected areas to support disaster response. You can find more information on the open data program and access with links uh, provided in the show notes. Uh, I will say, though, you know, even if you're not directly supporting the natural disaster program, uh, looking at the open data program might be a good way for you to check out some of uh, Maxar's imagery if you've never seen it before, see what they're capable of. of. Uh, uh, yeah, so check it out in the show notes. It's available for you for Puerto Rico. The last thing I have to announce, and uh, I recommend everybody to check this out. So it's associated with another set of natural disasters, the Australian bushfires. So Pierre Marcus uh, on Twitter, uh, he retweeted a post uh, that he did uh, earlier last year. So September 17, 2019, he wrote a blog post, and he recently retweeted that out in the last couple of days uh, because it now – heavily applies to the brush fires in Australia. And this applies, his blog post applies to an introduction to looking at wildfires using satellite imagery. The post describes basics of wildfires, how to find them and create interesting graphics from satellite imagery. And he even goes into various satellite sensors that we've talked about on the show over the years. Uh, so we've talked about wildfires 
and we've brought up various sensors like MODIS, Veers, Landsat, etc. I've even shown various examples of wildfires on the show. Uh, but what I love about his blog post, uh, he does talk about all these different sensors, MODIS, Veers, Landsat, and Sentinel. But he talks, he summarizes everything into a great introductionary read. And easy to understand how to access everything, what to look for in wildfires, what the, perhaps the best practices of visualizing it as a report or graphic. And it's, it's a, once again, it's a great read on seeing wildfires from Sentinel Imagery. And I encourage everyone to check out Pierre's blog post. And uh, that's going to be in the show notes as well. How to contribute to this podcast. Once again, we thank you for listening. However, uh, please support us. It helps encourage me to keep the show going. Uh, it helps me keep the website going. That costs money to keep it up and running. Uh, Project Geospatial is not a formal organization. It's not for profit <laughs> either. Uh, everything I do, I, I, I do because I love the geospatial community. And if you like to just support keeping our website going, please help us contribute at anchor.fn forward slash project geos forward slash support, or go to patreon.com forward slash project geospatial. You can contribute to us there too. Uh, and if you want to become a big supporter of us, we'll do a lot for you. We'll, uh, uh, we'll mention you in the show periodically and, uh, we'll even, uh, but, but, but what, what that does for us is allow us to go to a lot of these conferences and provide even more in-depth news that you might not normally get uh, through press releases or um, just just watching the various channels because there's quite a bit of ways geospatial is changing the world and changing dynamically, uh, not just every week, but every day. It uh, can be difficult to keep up with. So uh, support us if you can. And once again, thanks for listening. I'm Adam Simmons, Project Geospatial. Talk to you next time. Project Geospatial is a podcast hosted by Adam Simmons and Mason Rothman, dedicated to increasing awareness of geospatial technology, educational resources, and industry best practices. Our show is comprised of industry professionals who discuss diverse topics, such as new geospatial projects, innovations, and resources that benefit the overall community. If you're an industry professional, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback or have you on the show. Listen in and check us out at projectgeospatial.com or anchor.fm.